Thank you, Karen. And again, good morning. Good morning and welcome. My name is George Davis. For those of you here, for those joining us online, thank you for being a part of our services this morning. As, as I get started, I wanted to give you an update. A couple of weeks ago, we took time in our services to pray for one of our missionary families, uh, for Christian Roberts and his family after the sudden and unexpected death of his wife and the mother of their two kids. And I, we took time in the services. I just kind of wanted to give you an update on that. Dave Hyde, I'm going to ask you to join me just to kind of give us an update because you've just been down there to Guatemala and you can bring us back a report. Yeah, so I, um, uh, res- I gave Christian Roberts a, a call. He's, uh, he and Rose were missionaries in, in Guatemala. They went down there when they were about 24 years old, so a couple of years ago. They're, they're 27 now. And um, asked Christian, so how did, the, how did the birth go and stuff? And uh, this was two days after Rose had given birth to their second little guy, Amadeo. And he said, Dave, Rose just went home to be with Jesus. She just passed away, which was shocking. I had no idea. Uh, they'd been down there. Rose grew up as a missionary kid in Guatemala. Um, her parents translated the New Testament into uh, Pocomchi, a, a tribal language down there. Uh, so she grew up right there in that same, same little town of San Cristobal. Christian was doing work as a physical therapist. Um, it was, yeah, uh, so it was a privilege to go down and represent you all as a church just to, to bring uh, condolences and greetings from, from, our, from the family here at Hershey Free. And I know as, you, as, as we talked when you got back, one of the things you really talked about was just her legacy and what that looked like even as you experienced the funeral. Yeah, I have um, <clears throat> been to, officiated, seen lots and lots of funerals, but never, never one like this. Rose was uh, one of 11 children, so uh, just if her brothers turned up, uh, she had nine brothers, one sister, it would be a big funeral. But the, I, it, it seemed like the entire town poured out, this town of, of 20,000 folks. Now, they didn't all come, but um, it was remarkable to see her, the impact that this young lady's life had had. And her parents, having lived there for 30 years, translated the New Testament, worked among the Pocomchi people. The, the honor, the love that was just poured out. As we progressed through town, you could see the procession going there um, with, the, with the casket. It was like a two-mile walk to the, to the graveyard. She's buried in a borrowed grave like her Savior. Um, she, um, it was, it was remarkable. We stopped at the mayor's office. They, they, um, did a the presentation kind of like the keys to the city for her. Um, the family just was honored and, and prayed for people were throwing flower petals off the, off of balconies just as they lined the, lined the streets. So she, in her 27 young years, just left a, a remarkable, remarkable legacy. Her husband continues. We're, we're not sure what, what he'll do. You know, he's a uh, physical therapy assistant, has a clinic down there. She had been working um, to become a midwife uh, there, and they had just a profound impact in the community. Just to hear the, the stories, met a little, little girl who was the same age as their, their baby, Romeo, a little two-year-old uh, girl who was... Um, who wasn't doing well when she was born. She wasn't flourishing. The mom's milk didn't come in. So Rose had a bunch of milk frozen back and was, gave to this, this mom her own milk. So the baby began to flourish and now is doing great. And uh, just story after story after story of people uh, that, whose lives they impacted. So just tell us, moving forward, how can we be a part or what do we need to be aware of? Yeah, obviously praying for, for Christian, for their little guy, Romeo and Amadeo, or the, the boys. Um, Christian's trying to discern what the Lord would have him do. Um, he, uh, just in terms of 
continue to minister there or not or there or not and I honestly pray for um, pray for him so I ask for your prayers if you're interested in, in contributing they uh, you can you can email me they had uh, some some financial needs but just uh, dhyatt at hersheyfree.com and I'll uh, try to get you the info for that but I would say you know honestly I as I was just praying and what what I would share how I'd challenge you guys to just consider how you invest your life well I mean uh, Rose she didn't uh, I don't know. She did. For all intents and purposes, she died without much. You know, if you looked around, she. Um, but she had invested those years well for God's kingdom. Impacted people's lives. People who are now on, uh, who are now going to heaven. They're they're going to see Jesus face to face because of her life, her ministry. Um, a, a whole town that was was challenged to consider the claims of the gospel because she laid down her life. Her mom said um, at her funeral, she said, "You know, when you." choose to to, to, to to be a missionary or you choose to come alongside of people you share not only in their joys but you share in their sufferings you 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 take on the things that they risk and that they suffer and so I just ask you to consider how you are you're investing your life for eternity we only got one make it count thank you why don't, why don't you just pray pray yeah, for that situation that. right now father in heaven thank you for the uh, the good news of the gospel. Thank you for the, the resurrection that we're about to celebrate. It is not theoretical. It is real. Um, uh, Rose's resurrection is as certain as the resurrection of Jesus. And uh, for that, we're grateful. Uh, grateful for a life well lived. I pray for her dear husband, for Christian, uh, for, for Romeo, Amadeo. I pray that these young men would follow in their mom's footsteps a life of faithfulness and glory. I pray for comfort, ongoing comfort for the Ramirez family and for Christian. Um, I pray for, for the, the little town of San Cristobal and the Pocomchi people. I pray that the, um, that the seeds that have been sown would, would just continue to bear fruit. People would come to, to faith in Jesus Christ, and there would be great um, and radical transformation for the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Thank Thanks you. for the update. You know, when Dave got back and he, he was kind of telling me some of those experiences that he just shared with you, the impact of Rose's life, the legacy that she leaves behind, um, that really got me thinking just about my own life. And it got me thinking about your life and the lives of people in our church community. Because in, in different ways, each of us leaves some kind of impact on those around us. In different ways, over the course of our lives, each of us leaves a legacy. And so that caused me to want to ask you this question this morning. What legacy is your life leaving? What legacy is your life leading? I realize, you know, when I ask you that question, maybe for some of us, particularly those who are parents, we think about legacy. Maybe the first thing we think about is, well, what, what, what am I leaving my kids? And, you know, I want them hopefully to do better than I did, to have maybe a more established life. Maybe there are even some financial resources you're going to be able to leave behind to uh, your, your kids or your grandkids. Maybe that's what you think about when you hear the question, what legacy is your life leading? Or maybe you would say, George, why are you even asking that question? I'm 25 years old. My life is just getting started. Why? Why, why should I even think about that? Or perhaps you would say, you know what, I, I, I don't even think in those terms. I, I'm, I'm living in the present, and I want to engage the present, and I'll, I'll just let the rest take care of itself. I realize we're in different seasons of a life. And some of us have many decades ahead of us. 
Yet every day we're making choices. Choices that reflect values and beliefs. Choices that shape who we are and our way of life. And over time, your way of life, my way of life, impacts others. Sometimes in small ways, sometimes in large ways. And over time, your life, my life, will leave a legacy. So what legacy is your life leading? To help us think about that question, we're going to come back to our journey through Paul's letters. Throughout the beginning part of this year, we've been kind of working our way through the letters of Paul, spending time in most of these letters, and we've, we've come to the last letter that we have from the apostle. And in some ways, I think it's his most personal. He is writing from prison, and he knows that his death sentence is imminent. He's writing to one of his young assistants, one of his young protégés, Timothy. And he's giving him his kind of final words of advice, encouragement, recognizing that his time is limited. And as he reflects on his own life, Paul, in essence, is kind of inviting Timothy to kind of follow him in the journey that he's been leading. Follow him in the life that he has been living. Timothy, I want you to understand this is really what it looks like to live as a follower of Jesus. This is how you can live a life that leaves a legacy, the legacy of the gospel. And in a real sense, even as he is passing this message on to Timothy, he is passing it on to us as well. Paul was saying to us this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus... Here's a life that you can lead that will truly leave a legacy. So what does this life look like? Well, let's now come to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And what I want to do is just really work, work our way through the opening part of 2 Timothy chapter 2. As Paul reflects on his own life, as he's kind of encouraging Timothy to kind of continue in the journey that he has been living, here's the way Paul begins. He begins by saying, let me, let me tell you about this life I'm talking about, but let me tell you where the power comes from. <laughs> and notice how 2 Timothy chapter 2 begins. Paul says, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I love the way Paul addresses uh, Timothy here. He speaks in very personal terms, right? I mean, he's coming to the end. He's, you know, he's writing Timothy. Oh, my son. Here's this young man he's spent time with. He's invested in him. They've shared life experiences together. And Paul is saying, look, you're like my own flesh and blood. You're my family. And with that in mind, my son, I want you to hear carefully the words that I'm about to share to you. I want you to be strong. That is, I want you to be strengthened in God's grace. Now notice, notice the wording here because, you know, sometimes I think when we think about God's grace, we simply focus on the idea of God's forgiveness, right? We, go, we think about those powerful statements, for instance, in Ephesians 2, that we are saved by grace. 
In fact, sometimes what, what, what do Christians say? Hey, we're just sinners saved by grace, right? But, it, but we have to be careful because sometimes that, that makes it sound like, well, grace is just kind of what gets us over the line of getting into the family of faith and getting into God's community, God's kingdom. But as it turns out in the scripture, when the writers of the New Testament talk about God's grace, they've got, a, I think, a much broader understanding of what that entails. Because in the pages of the New Testament, grace isn't simply talking about God's pardon. It's also talking about God's power. Timothy, I, w- I, want, you to, I want you to live in God's grace. I want you to lean into it. I want, you to, I want you to be strengthened by it. I want you to be equipped by God's grace. I want you to be encouraged by God's grace, by God's power and presence in your life. So what, what exactly does he mean when he's telling Timothy to be strengthened by God's grace? What does that look like? Well, kind of the way we talk about it around here is this. I think Paul is saying, Timothy, I want you to make space for God to be at work in your life. We talk regularly about kind of spiritual practices, spiritual habits, spiritual rhythms that really open our lives to God's ongoing work, to the ongoing work of grace that God desires to be at work within us. And I think that's what Paul is getting at. Even last week, we, as we were looking at 1 Timothy, we saw you know, Paul encouraging Timothy, I want, I want you to train yourself to be godly. And in that context, his focus is on engaging Scripture. And I think in a similar way, Paul would say, look, I want this this book to shape you, to guide you, to encourage you, to inform you. I want you to engage God in his word so that his grace has room to be operative in your life. This is one of the reasons why, you know, in different ways, we try to provide resources to help you get into scripture, to reflect on it, to meditate on it, because as followers of Jesus, Paul is saying, he looks at you and says, look, if you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to be strengthened by God's grace. I want you to wade into the deep end of God's grace. And there's a reason for that. Because I want grace to move you into a particular way of life, a t- particular process. And we see that as the passage continues. Look at the next verse. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. What's this way of life? What is the process Paul is talking about here? Well, it's really, it's the ongoing work of the gospel. It's, it's a lifestyle in which, in broad terms, we're just, we're living out the message of Jesus. And I think part of what Paul is saying is this is what God's grace in us does. When we kind of wade into the deep end of God's grace, what will happen is God is working in us, but in the course of working in us, he's often also working through our lives into the lives of other people. God's grace moves us in an outward direction. And notice, notice in this short verse, Paul really 
actually refers to four different generations, right? He says, look, Paul, I've been entrusted with the gospel. And that, Timothy, I've, I've kind of entrusted this message to you. And I want you to find faithful people, reliable people, that you can continue to invest in and be a part in so that they can invest in others, right? And, of course, the implication is, and so on, and so on, and so on. Now, interestingly, as you read Paul's letters to Timothy, it's clear that in his church community in Ephesus, there have been issues with false teaching. As it turns out, in Timothy's context, there really are some deeply unreliable people. And yet, even given that, and even given Paul's instructions as to how to navigate those realities, he's still confident, you know what, you're going to find reliable people who are open to the message of Christ. You're going to find people that you can invest in, people that are open to the gospel, that you can teach, that you can encourage. And, and as you do that, this process of the gospel will continue on and on and on. So, Timothy, I want you, I want you to lean into God's grace and live this way. I want you to look for opportunities to invest in others. Now, the term Paul uses here is entrust, and I think in the context of this letter, includes the idea of teaching and communicating, as well as the idea of of just living out, of living out the message of Jesus, of sharing your life with others. Now, I realize at one level, uh, as you read this, you could say, well, you know what, This, this section is written to church leaders, right? It's written from Paul to another church leader, and it's... It, it's 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 a kind of explaining the the nature of church leadership, and I think at one level that is true. And for those of us who are in ministry leadership, this passage is an excellent text to think about our own responsibility. And yet, on another level, I don't think it's restricted to church leaders, because as Paul has already shared in this letter, all of us are recipients of God's grace. And this is how God's grace operates. His grace moves us into the lives of other people. And Paul's expectation is this this is to continue generation after generation. You know, even as a church, we're deeply rooted in this vision to kind of engage young adults and reach future generations. And that commitment to that vision flows out of biblical texts just like this. Right after Easter, um, we've got a group from our church that's going to be going to Israel. And while we're in Israel, one of the places we're going to visit is the church of the Nativity in Bethlehem, which commemorates the birth of Jesus. And the present church of the Nativity is a 6th century building, but it was actually built over the remains of an even earlier church. And over the last decade, there's a restoration work that has been done to expose parts of the floor of that earlier church. So that now when you walk into the Church of the Nativity, at different places, they have exposed the floor of the original church. And this is just one of the samples of what that looks like. And understand this, as you're looking at that floor, (laughs) you're looking at a floor that was built... In 339 A.D., 
And, you know, when I, 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 trust me on this, but when you stand there, it, it just kind of stretches your imagination for a moment to be standing here and you're surrounded by this church, this large church building that was built in the 6th century and you're looking down at a floor that was built in 339 AD. And to let your imagination soak in the reality that, you know what, I am standing in a place where for almost 1,700 years, followers of Jesus have gathered for worship. And I am able to stand in this place as a follower of Jesus. Because for generation after generation after generation, people like you, people like me, have embraced the way of life that Paul is describing in 2 Timothy 2. So Paul says, Timothy, look, I want, you to, I, want you to, I want you to lean into God's grace and I want you to live out your faith and communicating and teaching the truth of the gospel and just investing in people, letting the truth of the gospel throw, flow through your everyday life experience. Now, having said that, Paul also notes that this comes with a cost. He doesn't shy away from that. Right? The passage continues. <laughs> Join with me in suffering. I think, of, you know, when Dave told me what Rose's mom had said at the funeral, I thought about this is exactly what, what Rose had been doing in, in her investment in the lives of those people in Guatemala. Paul says, Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Now notice what what Paul is doing here. He's acknowledging that this way of life comes with a cost. And as he would experience in his own life, sometimes even at the cost of your own life. And to underscore the reality of cost, Paul gives us three illustrations. First of all, he gives us uh, the illustration of a soldier. Now understand, in this context, the the Roman military, the Roman uh, army was legendary for its training and its discipline. The first century historian Josephus said the Romans were so well trained that they were thoroughly prepared to sustain the shock of going into battle. So Paul gives the illustration of a soldier. Then he gives a very different illustration, right? Then he gives the illustration of an athlete, an athlete competing according to the rules. Now, some of you have competed in athletics at different levels. We've even had a few people in our church who, for instance, have competed in elite marathons like this, the Boston Marathon. And uh, one of the things you know about those competitions is this, you, you can't just show up and participate, right? 
The Boston Marathon will be held again in two weeks, and, and you can't walk out of here and go, you know, George mentioned the Boston Marathon. I think that'd be fun to do. Hop on to Expedia, let me book a couple of tickets to Boston, and then I'm going to just show up at the registration area. Just give me a bib. I'm ready to run. You don't, you don't do that. You have to qualify. And in a similar way, in the ancient world, to participate in games like the Olympics, you didn't just simply show up. There was, there was a training process that had to be a part of what you did leading up to the competition. Otherwise, you would not be allowed to compete at the highest level. And I think that's, that's what Paul is getting at, arguably, when he talks about an athlete competing according to the rules. You had to qualify. You had to go through the training. So Paul mentions a soldier. He mentions an athlete. And then there's the farmer, right, who plants, who tends his crops and waits for the harvest. Now, these are very different illustrations, right? I mean, it's very different, right? You might even wonder, well, what do they have in common, right? The soldier, the athlete, the farmer. They're very different, but I think this is one thing they have in common. Each of them highlights, <laughs> each of them highlights the theme of discipline. Discipline for the purpose of achieving a goal. And in each case, they have to say no to certain things in order to say yes to the bigger goal. Right? The soldier has to say no to civilian affairs. Their schedule looked differently because of their commitment to training and preparation. The athlete has to say no to those things that distract from training. The farmer has to say no to those things that interfere with the planting and maintaining of the field. The reality, I think, is the same for us. Paul says, as a follower of Jesus, I'm inviting you into a way of life. A way of life where you're living out your faith in the context of relationships, where you're willing to talk about your faith with others, where you're willing to share your life through encouragement and prayer, shared experiences. But it comes with a cost. And at times that cost is needing to say no to other things. For some of us, we, we may need to say no to busyness. There are ways our calendars always seem to be full. There are ways we simply manage to fill up the time in our days, right? Sometimes using our time well, sometimes perhaps not so well, sometimes getting caught behind a screen and just kind of scrolling or binge watching in ways that aren't particularly healthy or useful. You know, sometimes we wear our busyness kind of as a badge of honor or even a badge of importance or just a badge of expectation that this is how life always goes for people. But it can be the case that my busyness is an indication that I really 
have a life that lacks priorities, a life that lacks focus. So maybe there's some things I need to say no to. For some, we may need to say no to our comfort. At times, you know, at times it's just easier to do kind of my own thing than invest in, in relationships. It's easier to hang out with myself or just kind of hang out with family or a close group of friends than at times have people over and build new relationships. Hospitality can get complicated. Sometimes it's just easier to keep conversations safe than to venture into conversations about faith. You never know where they might go. So it turns out, through these illustrations, I think Paul is reminding us that to to embrace this way of life, it, it can mean saying no to certain things. Now in saying this, I think uh, I need to be very clear. Living out our faith doesn't look the same in each of our lives, nor does it look the same in each of the seasons of our lives. And that's why, that's why I just love what Paul says next, right? He's, he's talked about the power. He's talked about the process. And then he says this. This is so I think so wise pastorally. He says, he says to Timothy, Timothy, I want you to reflect on what I'm saying for the Lord will give you insight into this. Timothy, I'm, I'm not going to tell you exactly what this has to look like. I'm not going to kind of tell you that your life now has to fit into a certain box for all time and eternity. I'm not going to do that. But what I do want to do is this. I want to encourage you to lean in into God's grace and take seriously that this at times is going to come at a cost to invest your lives in others. And I want you to be open before God and seek his insight into what this looks like for you in this season of life. I think that's helpful for Timothy. And I think it's helpful for us as followers of Jesus. I'm not going to tell you exactly what this needs to look like in your life. That's not my responsibility. But I do want to encourage you just to be open to how God can be at work in you and through you as a follower of Jesus. With that in mind, let me, let me just ask you, just, <laughs> here's just a couple of questions, right? Just to kind of reflect on. Building out of this text. So how can, how can I be strengthened in his grace? The truth is, maybe what we've been talking about this morning just seems totally impossible or kind of outside the realm of possibility for you right now because you're, you're just, you're running on empty. You're just running on empty. So how can you make space for God's grace to be at war? A second question, what what opportunities do I have to participate in this process? Are there there certain relationships in your life right now where where, where God might be encouraging you? I just want you to, I want you to be my representative in this relationship. I want you to live out your faith in this relationship, in your family, in your school in your workplace. Even as we get ready for Easter 
Next week, you know, we've got these simple invitation cards with information about our services that are available in the lobby or as you go out at the other end of the building. And, you know, maybe there's someone in your life right now where maybe a next step is, is just inviting them to join you in person or just even to check us out online on Easter Sunday. So what opportunities do I have to participate in this process? And and a third question is this. Are there things I need to say no to? (laughs) And if so, what? Now, I realize in asking these questions, there's one question that you may have. And that question is this. (laughs) Why? 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 George, why why do I need to take this seriously? Sure, you know what? I get the way Paul lived. I get the way Rose lived. But you know what? He was an apostle. She was a missionary. And I'm just, you know, I'm just me. I'm not one of those kinds of people. Well, if, if, if you think along those terms, let me just tell you one more thing that he says. Notice the very next line. In this passage, what does Paul say to Timothy? Remember, Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. You ask Paul, why why do I take, why should I take this seriously? Because Jesus has been raised from the dead. Even as this day, Palm Sunday, we prepare to celebrate Easter next week. Paul is saying, look, because Christ has been raised from the dead, he's created a new way to live. And as a follower of Jesus, who you are, who you, who, where your identity is rooted is now defined by the work of Jesus Christ in this new reality. So don't waste your life. Embrace this way of living. And as a result, in, in different ways, You will live a life that leaves the legacy of the gospel. In describing this way of life, uh, let me just kind of address those of you who are here, who are joining us online, who may just say, okay, George, I've been listening, and, and I really don't know what to think about what you've been saying, because to be honest with you, George, I wouldn't describe myself as a follower of Jesus. I'm not really sure what to think about all of this. So what would you say to me? Well, if that's where you're at, first of all, I just, I just want to say thank you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us. And secondly, I, I, want, you to, I want to challenge you with this observation. And the observation is this. For 2,000 years, for 2,000 years, people from Paul the Apostle and the Roman Empire to Rose Roberts in Guatemala have chosen to live their lives this way. They have even chosen to rearrange their lives and their, pro- and their priorities, sometimes at great cost. And they have done it because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
And if this has been going on for generations, generation after generation after generation, maybe it's worth you checking it out further. And particularly as we move toward Easter, I would just encourage you to be willing to explore the reality of the resurrection. And if that's where you're at, I, you know, I'd love to have that conversation with you. Just gdavis at hersheyfree.com. We could grab coffee, just talk more about this. But if that's where you're at, can I just challenge you that the stories we told this morning, these stories recorded in Scripture give evidence to people who were deeply rooted in the reality of the resurrection and the way of life that that resurrection generates. A moment ago, I encouraged you to kind of follow Paul's invitation and to kind of reflect on the way of life that he is describing and what that might look like in your life. And so this morning, that's kind of the way I want to kind of bring our service to a close. Here's what I want us to do. I want to come back to this passage. And I, I just want you to listen as I read it, and maybe you want to read it along with me, and then I want to come back to those questions and just invite you to prayerfully reflect on those questions just for a moment before God. Paul writes, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. And the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. So in this moment, as you hear those words and read those words, just come before God with these questions. How can I be strengthened in his grace? Just reflect for a moment on that question. And now the next question. What opportunities do I have to participate in this process? Are the relationships places right now where God is giving me opportunity to live out the good news of Jesus Christ? And finally, for this to happen, are there things I need to say no to? 
And if so, what? Just bring that question before God right now. Father, as Paul reaches the end of his life, he he invites Timothy to keep walking the same journey that he has walked. And in a real sense, that invitation extends not simply to Timothy, but over time it extends to us as well. And I pray that we would hear that this morning. I pray that we would just be reminded of the, the reality that you invite us to to live in the depth of your grace and to make room for your grace to be at work. And as that happens, it it moves us into the lives of other people in different ways. It looks differently for each of us. It looks differently in each of the seasons of our lives. And yet, it's the ongoing work of the gospel to which we've been called. And Father, in acknowledging that, we also acknowledge at times it comes with a cost. And at times, (laughs) the cost may be high. But this makes sense because of the reality that Jesus has been raised from the dead and he invites us into this different way of life. A life where you will ultimately be faithful to your promises. So, Father, may we hear that invitation this morning loudly and clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. As you go, we're going to have members of our prayer team up here. And if there are ways we can pray with you, even pray with you about what this looks like as you're seeking to kind of... Live out the gospel in your family, in your work, in your school. If there are ways we can pray with you about that, we want to do that. And now we turn our face towards the cross and the resurrection. We turn our face towards the work of Christ as we prepare for Easter that ultimately empowers and enables us to live lives that leave a legacy of the gospel. Amen.